Tell you what, in all the earth, there is one commodity, one blessing, one thing that no one can live without easily, and that's friends. Friends are more valuable than money. Friends are more valuable than, than many things. And we all need at least a couple really good friends. Amen? Ones we can trust. So I want to preach about that tonight. And we're going to see in our text how, how valuable, how necessary they truly, truly are. Uh, Luke 5, if you're taking notes, the, I've entitled this The Faith of Friends. It says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and Teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, the men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason or argue, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, thank you, brother, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who's paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this day that you would... Bless your word that you would cause it to accomplish your purposes that would not go out void, God, but it would touch hearts. I pray that you would save the lost, God. Lord, that you would move mightily, God, and encourage people, God. I pray that you would speak and minister to the friendless, God, and those who have had difficulty in the past with relationships, that you would speak a word in season today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to look at is paralyzed by life. Now, we need to have a little bit of understanding of the context of this the events here. So what it is, if you read in verse 4, a multitude has followed Jesus. They have all kinds of needs, whether they're demon-possessed, where they need to be healed, maybe they just want to see a show, maybe they're looking for a meal, who knows why. People follow Jesus for many, many reasons, all the ones I listed. So here it is, he's going to rest. He's been ministering all day long, he's going to come here and rest at this house, but they don't let him rest. They still got needs. They pack in the house. Okay? He's wanting to maybe take a nap, but they want to get healed. And so they pack in the house, they pack outside the house, so much so that these guys that are bringing their friend can't get in. So they, good friends that they are, devise this awesome plan to take apart someone's roof. It's not their house. Otherwise, they'd be inside. They take apart someone's roof to lower this man in. So picture that. What if you were the man? What if you were the guy who's paralyzed and you're on your bed? Now, it says they had to take him up, right? So that means this guy who's paralyzed and can't move is being pulled up by a rope. Maybe his arms are tied around someone's back who's climbing up on a ladder or steps or however to get up there with his bed. 
Then they take apart their tile roof and lower him down. Can you imagine this guy? No, guys, I don't even heal that bad. I mean, trying to, you know, get out. But no, he's kind of a captive audience. But here it is, the faith of his friends touched Jesus so much that this man receives a miracle. You know, in life, there's many things that paralyze us. Whether it's physically or figuratively. Jesus mentions one of them, and that is sin. We can be paralyzed by our own perdition. Our own sin has the possibility of paralyzing us or freezing us in life. Have you ever been stuck in a mindset you can't shake? Maybe you're stuck in an in, in emotional turmoil that you try your best and you can't get out of, and it's because of decisions that you have made. Words you have spoken an attitude that you've chosen to receive and you have even said, I've always been this way, I'm never going to change. And you feel stuck, paralyzed in that place. I've heard people that have, have, because of tragic things that have happened to their life, for whatever reason, have chosen to allow that to get into their mind and heart and they don't move from a bed. I'm not talking about they were sick physically before. This is something that, it was a sickness of the heart and mind that attacked them and got into them where they could not bring themselves to get up because they were so down and depressed. Some of it is because of, again, their own sin, their own decisions, and that now they can't deal with them. Listen, we were not designed to deal with sin in the first place. Amen? We don't deal with sin very good at all. We excuse it. We justify it. We blame it on other people, don't we? But when it comes to actually looking in the mirror and saying, that's, that's me. I am the way I am because of what I did, what I said. We don't necessarily like to do that. It may be a sin of unbelief. It could be a sin of stubbornness or disobedience. Think of the children of Israel. Here it is because of their unbelief and stubbornness. The whole first generation that saw miracles God did in Egypt never get to the promised land. They're paralyzed going in circles for 40 years. You know, it was only about a three-day journey at most three weeks from Egypt to the Promised Land. That's all. They get there. They send spies in. They don't like the report because it might take some courage and some faith to believe the good report. And so what do they do? They choose to be complaining, whiny, stubborn, untractable, immovable, faithless people for 40 years, paralyzed when destiny was awaiting them. They're literally on the door of destiny and they make a bad decision of unbelief and, 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 and faithlessness and stubbornness and fear and they die in the wilderness, paralyzed when they could have pursued destiny. Think of Naomi. Here it is. She is dealt a hard hand in life because of her husband's bad decisions to move from Israel to Moab. And while that bad decision was not her fault, she chose to process life wrong and it embittered her towards God. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter. She embittered herself because she allowed herself to view life and things that had happened to her. That, again, they were not her fault. But rather than viewing it through a filter of faith, it was unbelief and bitterness, and it took Ruth, her daughter-in-law, a Moabitess, 
to renew her faith in God. See, when it comes to your own sin causing you to be paralyzed and stuck in life, the only answer is to own it. It's not to excuse it. It's not to point the finger at other people. It's not to point the finger at other things. You know, I was telling Eric a couple of weeks ago, he's, he loves this saying now. What's the maximum range of an excuse, Eric? Zero. The old army's saying, you can't solve or hit or do anything by living by excuses. Nothing happens that's good by living by excuses. But many people, they live and die by their excuses about why they're paralyzed in life why they are the way they are. And what happens is they won't be healed. They won't be restored. Jesus can't touch them because they've chosen that. How many times do we point at all kinds of causes but ourselves by why we're paralyzed? And here Jesus bullseye targets it. It says, son, your sins are forgiven of you. See, Jesus equates a link between this man's physical malady, the paralysis, with his own sin. Somehow they were linked. I don't know how. Bible commentators don't know how. They have all kinds of ideas and stuff. But Jesus here says, you are the way you are right now because of your sins, but glory to God, you're forgiven. See, many times we might be stricken in life. There's events, there's things in life that can cause a paralysis to come upon us. It may be decisions or words of others. How many have been raised with words of people that abuse you mentally and give you no hope? You're stupid. You know, I never liked you anyways. I should have aborted you. I wish you died. Yeah, when you got the accident as a kid, I, I just wish you died. You're never going to amount to anything. You're just a loser. I like your brother or sister better than you. And people can get paralyzed in life, polluted in their mind, their heart, poisoned by these words, and they start believing them, the words of others, negligence of others. Maybe it's repeated failure and with no hope of victories in your life. That can be paralyzing. That can be hard. Maybe it's betrayal of friends or those closest to you, and you say, you know what? No longer. I'm not going to deal with other people. I'll just be a loner. I'll just, I'll just stay here in my room by myself, ordering stuff on the internet and having it delivered to me. You're paralyzed in relationships, and you'll never grow as a person. You start thinking weird ways because you're paralyzed in your mind. And yet here is the good news is this, is that Jesus Christ came to heal and deliver us regardless of the reasons of why we're paralyzed. And you know, he often uses friends to bring us out of ourselves. He uses friends to carry us to him because on our own, we'd never get ourselves there. How many of you, say a year ago, would ever think that you'd be in a church on a Wednesday night? Huh? Or more than once in a week when it wasn't Christmas or Easter? Or where there wasn't free food or what, 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 what have you there? Okay? but maybe it was because of a friend. You saw something happened or you were grasping for hope and they held a hand. Maybe they, maybe they brought it to you. Maybe they were really smart and said, hey, let's go out to dinner. But then you're at church. 
well, I'm, I'm in dinner after church. Not right away, man. You're crazy. Come on now. And then you find yourself, you feel like you got mugged, and yet God touches you, saves you, redeems you, because your friend carried you to Jesus. Proverbs 7, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. The second thing I want to look at is the faith of friends. You know, having friends is a blessing, is a blessing of friendship. And says in verse 19 and 20, when they could not find out how they might bring him because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down his bed through the tiling in the midst of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, then he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. You know what? We all need a friend to carry us sometimes. Can you say amen? To their faith can bring about miracles for you. Whether it's a physical miracle, maybe it's a financial miracle, maybe it's a miracle in your marriage, your relationship, your family. Maybe you, you know, we all need friends that know what we need and tell us like it is. Amen? They don't tell you what you want to hear. They know you and they tell you exactly what you need. Maybe you need a hand up. Maybe you need a kick in the butt. A good friend knows what you need and gives it to you whether you like it or not because they're looking out for your best, not for their best. You know, it's hard to be a good friend. You ever been to a, uh, you don't have to say amen real loud because that friend that's here that we're talking about might hear you and get upset. Just say in your mind. But you know who it is that I'm talking about. You ever have a friend and it's really hard to be their friend? I mean... You're doing the heavy lifting all the time for a long time until they get it. And sometimes you're going, I mean, you're, they, they, they come back from you and they're drained because they're giving. They're emptying themselves out of everything to help you. They're, they're tying a rope around you and about dragging you into heaven. Because they love you. Because they know that's what you need. And the hope is that one day that paralysis, the paralysis, whatever is the problem, the issue, will drop off of you and you'll be strengthened because of their faith. Amen? That you can return the favor they gave you by passing it on to somebody else. Or maybe when they become weak and they have a need, you can strengthen them. You can lift them up. You can encourage them with the word in due season. How many times have you been in dire straits and a friend calls you? A friend texts you. Say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I was praying for this. You never said anything to them. Maybe it was something that you kept very close to your chest, in your mind. But God knew and spoke to your friend. And they ministered to you because they cared about it. They cared about you. Regardless of what it would cost them. See, real friendship is not about uh, uh, trying to like settle deaths with each other. Someone does you a favor out of friendship, but well, I'll make it up to you. No, 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 no. Real friends don't make up anything to each other. They just love and serve and help each other out because they want to. Do you have a friend like that? If you don't, you need to pray for one. Are you a friend like that, or can you be? If not, pray that God can make you one. Amen? It's not like God puts a little switch in the back of our heads that says friendship, and, you know, he just flips it. And, oh, I'm going to be a friend. You have to make hard decisions sometimes to be a friend. You have to choose to love. You have to choose to forgive. 
You have to choose to serve. How many people, because they were offended by friends, you know, the ones that I spoke of who told you what you needed when you needed it, but you didn't like it, right? You were offended by that, and so you rejected them, and you missed out on a miracle you desperately needed. Huh? We won't know till heaven necessarily. How did Jesus see these guys' faith? I mean, faith is an abstract thing. It's not like it's a certain color, right? It's not like they had faith and all of a sudden a neon light lit up above them or faith, 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 faith. Oh, okay, I'm going to pay attention to these guys and, and what they're doing there. Because they were desperate. Jesus probably watching these guys trying to, uh, get, got to pick this guy. It's, hey, hey, could you move? No. Ding. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All of a sudden, you know, might have been dim there. Maybe there were torches or candles or lamps there. And all of a sudden, there's a breeze that blows in from up top. A little cone of light that shines down where there shouldn't be a cone of light. And here goes the roof, and this dude's lowered down. And whatever Jesus is saying, listen, everyone's attention is now on this dude. Again, he's probably on the bed going, uh, guys, no, really. Look, I've been this way for a couple of years. I, I can wait a couple more years before I get You don't really get it. No, 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 no. Stop. What, what, if, what if they didn't lower it right? Because you know what? Friends aren't always perfect. You know? What if, what if they got his head hanging down and his feet, and he's like this going, oh, oh. Gets there. Then the Pharisees, the religious people, those are religious people who want to mess up a miracle, right? How dare you say you have the power to forgive? They don't even understand. These people broke into a roof to lower their friend for some reason. They want to argue about religious doctrine and crazy stuff. And what does Jesus say? Saw their faith. So, okay, okay, you want to have this little argument about which. All right, fine, fine. You're healed. You're, because you're in faith, you're friends. You're forgiven. You're healed. Get up, go home. What Jesus said. Totally changed the dynamic because of the faith of friends. Their action showed their faith and spurred and created an atmosphere for the miraculous. And that is what God wants us to have here. In this church that we come, we bring people, and because of we believe, maybe you have a friend who can't believe for themselves at that time, but you can believe for them and watch God do a miracle in their life. Listen, don't give up on them. Continue to have faith. Listen, friends serve each other, as I said, out of love. It is a covenant relationship. It is not 50-50. If you're doing 50-50 with your friend, you're not friends. You're not. That's not how friends act. That's not how friends work. That's not how relationship works. Not a good one. That's more of a business thing. How can you call me, man? Well, I already did like 51 and a half. And you're kind of slacking right now. So I didn't call you. Oh, we don't do that anymore. Sorry. <laughs> do that with a cell phone. You break it, right? Show my age. Friendship is a covenant relationship, not a contract. We need to be a friend. You know, it's not natural. It takes sacrifice. It takes a choice. It takes you choosing to love. And, but listen, it's biblical. I don't care what this world says. I don't care how hard this world of sin has affected you. And if you've been burned, 
being a friend, a godly friend, is biblical. Here are some verses. Proverbs 18.24 A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, some Bible commentators, they want to say, well, that's Jesus. Of course Jesus sticks closer than a brother, because he's Jesus. But you know what? I have found this verse to be proven out, that it's the friends, it's my brothers and sisters at church that are far closer than my, my blood relatives. I remember I get saved. Got saved in 1989. I was excited, like we all are, filled with zeal, right? We're filled with so much zeal, we don't even say the verses right, but we know we got saved and God changed us, and we want to tell everybody, and we do it with so much zeal and so little wisdom sometimes, which was me. I was son of blunder. Couldn't even manage the thunder. I just made a lot of mistakes. But I meant well, and I wanted to see my family saved. And I remember witnessing my family, witnessing my little brother, and I thought my family, my parents, who were backsiders, raised in church, men in church, might be a little excited that I wasn't the selfish loser I used to be. No. My middle brother complained to my mother that I was so hard and told him that if he didn't get saved, he was going to hell, which was the truth. <laughs> totally left out the other part of how he could be saved and Jesus loved him, because, you know, that would be too convenient. And so for three years, my mother says, I'm not giving you his address. I'm not giving you his phone number. He doesn't want to contact you. Don't contact him. My own brother. That hurt. I just want to see him saved. I even asked him to forgive me for being a lousy older brother. But no, that didn't matter. So I could have allowed those, that three-year period of time to be sad and upset and angry and all the different things I was feeling, or I could have reached out to my brothers in the church. And know what I learned in that short period of time? Is that there are friends that stick closer than a brother. That there's people that are related to you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter that they're not related to you by blood, because the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of family relations. I'm not saying deny your family, I understand, but maybe you've been rejected by family. You know what? God has provided here a better family for you. Ones that will stick closer than a brother, closer than a sister, closer than a mother and father might. Ecclesiastes 4.12, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord is quickly broken. If you don't have a friend, Life and someone out there is going to beat you down emotionally, maybe even physically. But you know what? When you have friends, you can't do that. The devil can't do that. Amen? You have someone who has your back, someone who will withstand your foes. That threefold cord is talking about you and your friend and God because God is into friendship. He's into godly friendship. But again, you have to choose to make friends. It does not happen by accident. First, you're going to have to recognize you need friends. Amen? For some of you, that's going to be the hardest hurdle because you think you're all that in a bag of chips and a dollar twenty-five change. And you're not. You need friends. Okay? Now, I'm not going to candy coat this. Being a friend and having friends is risky because you have to let yourself be vulnerable. Can you imagine this guy? Here it is, this paralyzed man. How much trust he must have placed in his friends because he wasn't living at home. He was in such a sorry state 
that he had to live with one of them probably or somewhere else. Someone else had to take care of him, feed him, move him. If he couldn't take himself to the restroom. Enough said? All, maybe he even had friends that had to go to his house that he couldn't take care of and clean it for him and take care of his property, make sure no one broke in and took stuff because he couldn't do it. And then here it is. They're going to lower him down with a zany plan. They had to trust that one, while they're climbing up, they're not going to drop him on his head. And number two, while they're lowering him down, they're not going to drop him on his head. We don't read him arguing or complaining. I added some of that just because I know how I would be. Right? But he doesn't. He trusted them with his life, his health, his property. His friends were stewards of his home, his health, of his, his, his uh, nourishment. Listen, we need to choose our friends wisely. Amen? It's okay to be circumspect about who you allow to speak in your life. Because there are some crazy people out there. Amen? So you have to have some wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but the multitude of counselors are established. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, you wage your own war. And a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there's no counsel, the people fall, but multitude of counselors, there's safety. This is not talking about going to a whole bunch of people at church and asking them to give you your opinion, Right? How many people come with some kind of crazy idea? They've already decided what they're going to do. They just want to have other people's stamp of approval on it. And so they go around and ask someone until they find someone who says what they say. That's not a good friend. In fact, you might find some crazy people that way. A good friend will say, uh-huh, yeah, that's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Okay. A good friend might examine that. A good friend might say, maybe you should stop and pray before you do this thing. You know, maybe you should look before you leap. Or maybe praying with you, think about it and say, you know what, that's a good idea. Need some help? But when you try to just do it, go it on your own, where there's not an outside voice, someone who can, can maybe put it like a governor on, on you, we tend to make bad decisions, hasty decisions. When you have a good friend and you have friendship, listen, you have to protect it because the devil hates friendship. You know, I was thinking as I was putting this sermon together, it is no accident that from the time of, of the, uh, 19, uh, 2019 to 2020, that COVID-19 hit and massive protests and violence throughout our country that divided populations. You ever wonder why that happened at the same time? Why didn't one occur in one year, one occur in another year? Because they're related. It's a strategy from hell to divide, even in the church, to divide our nation, to divide cities, divide communities, divide families, because the devil wants to sow discord and destroy friendship, to sow distrust, to make it so whenever anyone does anything, you think, why do they do that? They must have some ulterior motive. He wants to destroy friendships in the church. You know, it's been proven that the term Facebook friend, right? 
Social media has been proven to make people antisocial to the point now where people cannot even disagree in a cordial manner face to face. Where are you going to cancel people? Well, I don't agree with what you say, so I'm going to cancel you. You don't have a right to talk anymore because I disagree with you. That's all of us here. Let's be honest now. Society wants to cancel what we believe, the Bible. That sowed, that was created in the bowels of hell to destroy friendship and relationship the way God wants it to be in society and in our church. You need to value and protect friendship. The other thing we need to be very wise and careful about is that as we make friends in the church is that we avoid the danger of clickism. What I mean by that is this. Don't form groups of people that ostracize others. Someone who needs a friend and they want to join your little cabal there. But no, they're not the cool kid. Maybe they're awkward. Maybe they're new. And so you're not going to let them get in with your little three musketeer group when maybe they're trying to do what I've suggested in this sermon is make a friend. Well, they're the wrong fill in the blank. I don't have the time to go through all the qualifying uh, 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 criteria that we might make on there. I've been in a church before where unfortunately one group of people made a click and you couldn't get into their click. And it was preached on from the pulpit and it still remained. And then in a process of time, almost every single person in that click backslid because God did not bless their click. I'm not talking about, you know, okay, we're going to have people that are really, really holy and dedicated mystery over here, and then there's going to be people that are, uh, they're not that committed, and they're going to mock the people. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about people where you get your own little group together, and you're comfortable with that group, right? That little circle you run with, and you don't let anybody else in. That's not right. That's ungodly. That ought not be, and God will judge it if you don't. Because what happens usually in those things Gossip. That's, that's pretty much what happens a lot of times. Crit- critical attitude. That's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. We should be about the kingdom of God. Our friendship should, should serve. You know, the best friends I ever had and have to this day, they're all saved. They're all saved. I know guys that I've met, Marvin Wells, for 30, over 30 years. I've known him almost as long as I've known my wife. Pastor Lamont Melrose, who pastors in uh, Pasadena, Texas, I witnessed to him over 30 years ago, still my friend, talked to me the other day. That is valuable. That is so worth everything, and it doesn't come cheap. The last thing I want to look at is, very quickly, is three miracles. Listen, I want to encourage you, don't give up on unsafe friends, okay? There's going to be lines where you're going to have to draw where you're not doing what they're doing, right? But don't give up on them. Continue to witness them. Listen, if you are newly saved, continue to witness and pray for those people that are not saved. You never know when they're going to turn around. Yeah, but they're resisting really hard. That's because they're convicted really hard. You just don't see it. You don't see the tears they cry, the, 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 the agony they're in at oh, dark 30. When they're looking at their life and everything they've tried, they come up short. Then they start thinking about God. They start thinking about Jesus. It's a good time to pray for them. You ever woken up at 2 in the morning? Maybe it's because a friend needs your prayer. Maybe it's because of the pizza you ate. I don't know. But it might be a friend. Pray for them. Listen, the, the persistence of faithful friends. Because of the persistence of faithful friends, 
in this text. Three miracles occurred that day. One, the man was forgiven of his sins. In verse 20, when he, that's Jesus, saw his faith, said, In man, your sins are forgiven you. The paralytic was not just forgiven of his sins, but he was miraculously healed and he was restored in life. Jesus has this argument with the Pharisees there and he says, but you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he'd been lying on, departed to his own house, glorifying God. He wasn't just, oh, I knew it happened eventually. No, he's probably jumping up and down. Had strength restored. He gets to go to his house. He never liked being in his friend's house anyways. They had weird decorations and stuff and plants or who knows. He wasn't at home there necessarily. Think of the dignity. Can you imagine if you were a healthy person and, and in one day's time, you're struck down your health and now you have to rely on other people for everything. How degrading that is, especially for men, very degrading. You can't even take care of your own stuff. And yet Jesus restores him and heals him. And now he can go back to his house. Jesus didn't say go back to your friend's house. Right? So go back to your house. Lastly, a bunch of religious fuddy-duddies were confronted with the truth. They realized that this sign, this healing of their previous arguments were nullified completely by the sign and wonder Jesus did. It says in verse 26, they were all amazed. There was everyone there was amazed, glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Think of this. These people, these religious people, all these people, they're Jews. Their spiritual DNA is made up of miracles. And yet they say, this is weird. Because they didn't see miracles like this happen on a regular. You know, they didn't, they didn't see what we see on a regular. And it was a sign to them of the Messiah. So here it is, God does a miracle and everyone is praising God in that place. Every single person in that place praising God and fearing God because of the faith of friends. Amen? I'm closing now. Jesus said... They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And the strength of the church, of this church, of every church, is faithfulness to God and faithfulness and love to each other. You can read about the 12 disciples. Jesus gathered the 12. And here you have James and John and Peter and Andrew. You know, those guys were friends before they got saved. And they stayed friends after they got saved. They were used to Peter being a big mouth. They heard it all the time. I bet, hey, I bet I can... Catch more fish than you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably, and then when he did, he mocked him. And then when he didn't, they probably mocked him. They get saved, and they just kind of continue on because God used his personality. He liked parts of that personality. Amen? You read about, I think it's Nathaniel and Philip. They were friends also. They knew each other. God used their friendships to strengthen their walk with him. When he sends the, uh, other, the larger group of disciples, the 70, he sends them out how? Two by two. Because he knew they would need each other and wanted them to befriend each other. Just like here. Disciples were made and discipleship continues by friendship. You know what was awesome this past Sunday? Is 
uh, my wife and I normally try to get here really early, get set up for children's church, everything's good. And what's so awesome is here's, and then pastor always shows up early to study. And here it is, pastor's here this Sunday with a bunch of guys. They're just having donuts, eating whatever. And it reminded me of when pastor had a group of men in Colleen, Texas, and that started happening. He didn't demand they show up. It wasn't a discipleship class. They just wanted to be around their pastor. And these guys would collect. And you know what? Most of them, they're on the field to this day. Because discipleship occurred. Because they, they the sparks, iron sharpens iron with each other as well as with their pastor. And so it's so encouraging to see friendships being built organically. You know, it's not like you must show up at this time. Right? No, no. It was casual. The guys that were there, you know what I'm talking about. You guys probably had a blast. Some of you probably said, man, pastor is so cool. I know pastor's going to be like that. Right? And it spurs you on and encourages you. Disciples were made by friendship many times. It's awesome to see that. It says in 1 Peter 3, 2, 4 through 6, Peter writes and he says, Coming to him, that means Jesus, as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In New England, where I'm from, they used in the old days uh, build these these walls of stone. They weren't even put together with masonry or concrete. They were just all these different stones that a, a farmer or a property owner would find on their land, and they would take it, and they would just make this huge mound that was there. And you can go through New England, and you'll see these mounds of stones or walls going through a forest, through a stream, uh, across some field or something like that, and none of the rocks look the same. The Bible speaks about living stones. You know what we have here is living stones. We're different shapes, different color, different places that we weren't all found in one place. And God, it says, He ordained that because He's building something powerful here. You know, sometimes a friend is not going to be someone like you. In fact, it might be someone who's really different than you. It might be someone who irritates the fire out of you but you need them to be your friend because there's things about you that irritate them. And what happens is you learn to love in spite of that. There's parts of your personality, your character that get shaped and molded and flaked off and ground down. Areas that need to be uh, strengthened that are weak. Areas that are weak that need to be taken out. And it happens as we fellowship and build friendships together. The strength of our church is, of course, that we're faithful to God, but also that we are different people that God uses, different personalities. And yet God ordains that we came here to this place. Some of you have been here for a, a long time. Think of this. He assembled you and all of us here to this place, that he made us part of the Potter's House Christian Church of Newport News, Virginia. And that's an awesome thing. That is a comforting thing. And he does that in all kinds of local churches and is for a purpose. Imagine what kind of miracles might be done here through the faith of friends and in the future. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.
and respect to God and the person sitting next to you. Maybe you're here and you're like this man. Your sin has paralyzed you in one way, shape, or form in your life. And you wish you could be free. You've tried human means, counseling. You've tried willpower. You've tried all these different things. But have you given Jesus your life? 